0: Apple Music is here to make heading back to university a breeze this year with their epic special offer. If you're a university student and you sign up for Apple Music now, you'll get the first six months free. Yeah, you heard me right. Six months free. And wait for it, there's a little bit more. You'll also get a free subscription to Apple TV+. Plus. I mean, there's only so many times you can watch Parks and Rec, right? Get busy exploring over 70 million songs all ad-free. Remember, this offer is for new subscribers only and only available to students, so verification will be required on sign-up. Even better, after your free period is over, your subscription will renew for 29 99 per month, which is a steal. This offer is valid until the 30th of April 2021, so, like, get off the couch and get busy listening. Welcome to a special edition of Text Talks The Look Back, where I take a moment to reflect upon the season that was, and you get a chance to catch up on bits that you may have missed over the course of our seven episodes. Now, before we get into things, I have to mention the epic milestone that we hit halfway through this season, scoring over 100,000 downloads of Text Talks in under 12 months. I'm told by my team that this is an epic achievement for a South African podcast, well, any podcast really, and I reckon it goes without saying that none of this, nothing at all, would be possible without you. And so as we tick over into year two and season five of our little music interview podcast that could, just know that I'm extremely thankful for every share, every like, stream, tweet, story, and every digital high five from you. So if you're a regular listener to Text Talks, you'll know that before we move forward, we like to look back at the season that was. And season four was a noteworthy one for me because it was recorded while I was moving from Joburg back to Cape Town in the middle of a totally new home studio setup and also, (laughs) while load shedding, decided to make an unexpected return. So picking my top seven moments from across the season was a vibe for me because this season was probably my most sentimental for a number of reasons. But now, let's look back. Sometimes I have a little moment just before the recording of an episode where I actually forget who I'm talking to. Not, not like a senior moment, but I mean, I forget just how big the artist actually is, and this happened to me with Sun Al musician. I, I don't know, I guess it's because I've been a fan for so long. And it's weird because my favorite moment from this podcast is Sanele talking about the exact same thing that I experienced with him, only it's with Alicia Keys and Swiss Beats. <laughs> Let's take a listen. They loved it so much that, I mean, this is like stuff of fairy tales, that they flew you over to the state. <laughs> so that you could spend a week creating music with them, Sanele, which is amazing. Yeah. Please relive amazing. that experience. Of working alongside two <laughs> musical giants because the two of them are like they're one yeah. of my ultimate music power couples.
1: No, they're they're amazing. Amazing people. Very very welcoming, you know. I but when we got there, um it was it was snow.
0: Where, where um, in the States was it?
1: Uh New York. It was in New York. So um I remember just being there. And they couldn't fly in. I think they were, we were on vacation. Um, so when we, we, when we, when we got, uh, we got in and in, in, in the US, they, they were not around. So now the tricky part was, um, they couldn't land back, you know, they couldn't come back and fly in because of the snowstorm. So, uh, we stayed for like three days without seeing them. I think we only met on, um, Thursday, uh, but I think I got there on Monday and, uh, when they got there, we were very friendly. Yeah. They took us out and it was such a, a crazy, unbelievable moment. Even right now, just really telling this is just an amazing thing, you know? Um, uh, so we went out and I think the following day, uh, we went to studio. I think that's Friday. That's when they made us listen to their albums before they came out. And and they were just really excited. I remember Alicia was like, please take me through your process. How do you how do you come up with this song? Da, da, da. I was like, uh, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> I should be actually asking you how how do you do it? So um you know, really excited and just on um, what we were doing and how we were doing it.
0: My interview with Portugal, the man, was the last episode that I recorded in my Joburg apartment in Craig Hall. So it was very bittersweet for me. And my setup consisted of a blanket and a handbag fort. So the fact that the quality of recording is so next level on this episode is hysterical to me because you can't see how I'm living my best podcast life for those 45 odd minutes. I think this interview was a bucket this one for a number of reasons, but mainly because Feel It Still was the soundtrack to my summer in 2017, where I did did lots of unapologetically naughty things. So having bassist Zachary Carruthers tell me that I give off a Larry King vibe with my interview style is something that I'm seriously considering putting on my tombstone. Let's take a listen. You know, I checked on Spotify the other day and I think feel it's still sitting on like 800 million streams on Spotify, or something like that. I know it's crazy, but like, not only was the song everywhere, but you guys were everywhere. You were on every TV show. You were on Fallon and Conan and Ellen and Corden. But the one that I want to ask you about is your interview with Larry King.
2: Welcome to Larry King now, our special I mean, guest. what
0: a legend. May he rest in I peace. I know,
3: man. Rest in peace. Yeah, totally. That was such a bummer. Um,
0: such a bummer. I mean, he hosted over like 50,000 interviews in his career. Just think about that. I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, but and, and I mean, I saw on Instagram the other day, you posted a um, a very pointed message to him with a photo from w- when you were on a show. But But what was that particular moment like being interviewed by Larry King?
3: it was intimidating for sure that that like just being somebody that can do that and just like man it it was intimidating he was super cool and such a pro how has feel it still changed your lives for instance we are we're doing an interview with you I was actually more impressed less with the interview than like how he dealt with his crew there were some technical difficulties and we had to kind of redo a part and he got so pissed off and he's like, we don't, he's like, we don't try again. We don't do two takes. It's Larry King live. And we're all <laughs> about like not having backup tracks. We we're, we're, like embracing the mistakes. And I was like, fuck yeah, Larry, like punk rock, Mr. King. I love that. And he just like, he kind of flipped out. He's like, I'm sorry guys. I didn't want to do that in front of you. I was like, dude, that was so cool. And, um, and he just had like, <laughs> he had a really awesome, Um and respectable. He wasn't like being a dick or anything. He was it was like all with professional respect, but just how he dealt with this certain situation where, you know, um it it was just really cool. And he loves being live and he loves getting those reactions. And I just I got a huge respect for him. And he and he's just genuinely interested. And I like that. And you got that same thing. I really love talking to people because you can hear with journalists or people that are doing interviews, you know, if they it's not even if they care or not; it's just if they're interested. That's why people like Joe Rogan are so huge. You know, he's not an insanely smart guy. He doesn't know a ton. <laughs> he's just he's so interested in and what engaging. anybody has to say, yeah. and that's cool. It's that curiosity that just really keeps, you know, it, it works different way for scholars and scientists and you know physicists. But it's just in general, people just like you learn so much about somebody else when you're just actually interested in listening what they have to say. And I, I got that from him like big time. And that's what I really look for. And you totally got that too. Like I, it's really nice to talk to somebody that just kind of wants to know.
0: We all know that social media can be a pretty bleak place at the best of times, and Ami Faku found that out the hard way when she logged onto Twitter one day to find out that she was trending because she had supposedly died. But her response to the entire situation is hysterical, and it's my favorite moment because it's so unexpectedly funny, just like Ami is. Let's take a listen. You log on, (laughs) and then you're... You're dead. You are fake news. Oh, man. Like, there are tweets going around that you've died in a car accident. Like, what happened? I'm telling you,
4: I actually got a call from
0: my sound guy, my sound technician. Like,
4: oh, my God, I thought you uh, were trending. I'm like, for what? And he says, they're saying you're dead. I'm like, where? They said, on Facebook. So it started on Facebook. And then on Twitter, it was people speaking on the fact that people on Facebook are saying this. Is this true? And um, I think the person, what hap- what had happened is I think someone posted, there's a song that I just released, uh, my new single, uh, mm. Lalango Langotolo, featuring MT and that song um, title, when you translate it in English, it means rest, rest, in, rest peace. in peace. Mm. And so that person said, Ami Falku, rest in peace. I don't oh know who gosh. asked them to translate. And then that, that post on Facebook got a lot of um, interaction and people were sad and they didn't even like argue on it and then people came in and they were like yeah i know she got into a car accident (laughs) and is in a coma (laughs) oh god and then yeah i was i was actually mad at first i was like what the hell what's wrong with you
0: no 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 (laughs) no. no. your tweet was and if your response killed me it was what the fuck
4: Definitely, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm like what the fuck yeah what's wrong with you (laughs) and that's how I talk I'm like I'm not gonna be miss sweetness or whatever so I'm like yeah but the thing is my people know how I talk so they were not surprised by my response (laughs) (laughs) at all if you notice that there's no response that, that is saying why did you swear they just know how I talk now
0: Now, I've known Jeremy Loops for a long time, and I've lost count of how many times I've interviewed him over the years, so he can't bullshit me because I know him way too well. And I think this was the first time that I had sat down with him for such a prolonged period of time. And my favorite moment... Hands down was when he spoke about how his live performance has grown and how it's evolved over the years from like a kind of sheer (laughs) a sheer chaos to a very well-oiled machine. Let's take a listen. I remember interviewing you and I remember you being so excited because it was like one of your first headline gigs and like everything was so fresh and new.
5: Yeah, I was tripping out. Yeah, I
0: <laughs> do you do you still feel that way when you step on stage? I mean, I know you haven't stepped on a stage in a while, but like yeah. when 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 you do, is everything is every new stage like shiny and new? Like, do you still get that rush from from a gig like the first time that you played at the assembly?
5: Yeah, the, well, I think the rush changes definitely. It's changed, um, but when you are. Look, we, I've been really uh, lucky, we've, we've made amazing steps forward across, yeah, across the world, but also just across this music business as I've grown, and so the opportunities and the things that have been in front of me have escalated uh, in step with my ability to keep up with, um, I suppose, coming to terms with them, you know, like emotionally, spiritually, physically. I used to be terrified of getting on stage like giddy with excitement but at the same time like nauseous with fear the first time i played kirstenbosch gardens i think i was nauseous for like two weeks before that show because it was just so much expectation so much that i like so much weight on my shoulders and i was so um, ill prepared for a lot of it you know i wasn't a i'm not a musician that grew up singing in the mirror and like trying to just be a pop star i was uh I was really someone who was studying like a business degree and had a much totally different idea of what I might spend my life doing who stumbled into music in this quite organic way. And so a lot of those first performances were just harrowing as far as overcoming performance fear and all the self-loathing that comes with laying your creativity bare for people to judge, especially when it was so, uh, yeah, I don't know, like there were so many holes in my uh, repertoire at that stage you know I, I didn't really know much about songwriting uh, I was looping everything so my show was like really loop based mm-hmm. which was kind of cool but it meant a lot of my songs were relatively monotonous it was very difficult writing my first album because I had to like take loop songs which were using the same chords a lot of the time and actually re- n- learn how to write structured songs and uh Put pre-choruses and choruses and post-choruses and you know like intros and outros in and all i'd done to date were until that point was put like loops together so um yeah it was uh it was really terrifying and it doesn't it didn't go away for years that but then as the stage i think it was somewhere i was explaining this to someone the other day it was very distinctly for me uh when i got to that level where we were playing 500 to a thousand seater rooms overseas when we started it was maybe on our third or fourth tour abroad where we started cracking like thousand seater rooms something changes when every night you have to hold the energy of us of a crowd that size like up until 500 people you still feel like a little unit it's like a smaller venue you can almost see everyone you can kind of hear and taste the taste the vibe you know it's like mm-hmm. right there and then when it gets over a thousand people like it becomes a different beast to manage the the energy in the room and to keep that high level of performance that I'm all about. Uh, I found it a lot more difficult and I really had to, to kind of gear up. So I, I spent a lot of time learning about meditation in those years. I spent a lot of time uh, going on like kind of inner conquests of how can I enjoy this more and stop fearing it so much and how can I take like – the intimate energy that I can create with a small amount of people and translate that to really big stages. Mm. And I would argue that that's what often separates like artists who can go on to become much bigger and much greater in a sense. They're generally the ones who figure that out. And the ones that don't are the ones that are slated for having these really bad live shows, which I don't think is always the case. Like Kings of Leon probably are a great band in a small room. Oh my God. When you
0: said that, that was literally the first band name that came into my mind. Really? Yeah, 100%. What bad,
5: terrible life. Oh
0: my God. So bad live!
5: Yeah. See, and, but the thing is they probably weren't, they probably, I, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they were <laughs> terrible from the word go. They were not and good. And they just know how to write songs. But, uh, <laughs> I imagine that like most artists that get somewhere uh, learn to cultivate like a live thing to a point and beyond a certain point, it just becomes too nerve wracking and you just crumble under that pressure and you don't learn how to gear up. And I was kind of adamant to not be a number in that sense. And so I did a lot of, a lot of work on trying to figure out how to do it. And so I've got like lots of tricks, you know, now when I go and play big festivals, you know, last year or at least the year before, we started headlining some proper big festivals abroad, which was a big breakthrough for us. Mm -hmm. And playing main stages on on big festivals abroad was a whole new level of fear for me. And because a lot of, you know, it's not like playing a big festival here where the audience know you, they've been with you on your journey and they're excited to like sing old bangers with you. Um, Internationally, a lot of the time I'm playing to audiences who don't know you that well and you really have to come out like swinging and so yeah I, I've i got processes I suppose I've got tricks that allow me to sink into it and deal with it better and enjoy it more and not feel the fear as much uh, and really be able to experience the joy more as opposed to all the nerves
0: I have immense respect for Cornelius SA and his level of professionalism and humble nature is something that I make reference to multiple, multiple times in this podcast and we'd we've been communicating over email and social media for about three years up until the recording of this podcast. And you know, we actually still haven't met. Um, But I hadn't really seen anything in the local press or in the international press that had dug really deep into his story. And I like to think that the conversation that I had with him will, will kind of stand the test of time, so to speak. So that when the guy blows up like black coffee because i honestly believe that it's only a matter of time until he does people will use this interview as a source of information to get to know him better and my favorite part of this podcast was where he talks about getting the email telling him that he'd been accepted into the red bull music academy let's take a listen
2: so yeah i was in my studio at the time was going through a lot you know didn't even know what to do was trying to make music nothing was happening you know i didn't have like inspiration you know creative juices uh we're gone <laughs> and then i go to my phone i'm like oh let me check my emails you know and uh Yeah, and I get this email from... I didn't even read, go through the whole email. I only saw the subject saying, uh, Welcome Welcome to to the the Red Bull Bull Music Music Academy. Academy. Uh, And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Uh, I didn't have anybody to speak to about this. So the only thing I could do, I ran out of my studio, you know... And I was like screaming, I remember I called Bongani, you know, I was like, yo, Bongs, uh, I made it through to the Red Bull, uh, you know, Music Academy thingy. And I remember (laughs) I called my dad, you know, (laughs) I remember I called my dad, he was at work and I was like, yo, you know, I made it through you know and he was uh he was so proud you know because yeah i mean something that i that i've always wanted i applied for the music academy before i think it was in paris and uh my application didn't uh go through so when i went to cape town uh, to visit my cousin some uh, some guy happened to introduce me to uh, Tiwotez, who's who's the uh, studio manager at uh, Red Bull Studios in Cape Town. And uh, he was like, yo, dude, I've been playing your music. I played your tracks on the Valentine's uh, Stay True uh, show, the, the shows they used to do with uh, Boiler Room. And he went to YouTube immediately and he was like, yeah, here's the mix. I played one of your tracks. And he was like, dude, have you tried applying for the uh, Red Bull Music Academy? And I was like, yeah, I did, you know, but uh, it was rejected and I'm not motivated anymore, you know. And he was like, yo, dude, let me invite you for, for a studio session. Then I went to studio You know, then I worked on music, I saw a lot of people coming in to apply for for the Red Bull Music Academy and I was like, nah, I'm not going for it this year. You know, it's only when I got back home to Pretoria, I was like, oh, actually, why am I not going for this?
0: I've been very open on social media with how difficult this interview with Younger Chief was for me. And I think a lot of people interpreted that as him being hard to interview, but this definitely was not the case. So this interview had been rescheduled like five times and it was smack bang in the middle of stage two load shedding. And Younger had been on set all day, so the only time that we had to record was after 10 p.m. And then add to that the fact that I'd had a very rough week and it was 30 degrees in my new cape town apartment and it took me quite a while to settle into this interview but strangely enough it was the one where to date i've gotten the best feedback about how engaged we both were and the more i think about it the more i realize that i actually identify with younger and his story of hustling more so than any other artist I've interviewed on Text Talks. And my favorite moment from this podcast is where he talks about winning best hip-hop album at the Samas in 2020. Let's take a listen.
6: I don't know why, but he loves putting me through the most. Um, but he, he, he always shows up, you know, in the end. Um, I remember walking into uh, Keenan's place and... Um, every time I walk in and like the guy's running out of shelf space for his awards, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I always ask myself, I wonder if I'll ever have one of my own, you know? And like right now I'm looking at three of them up here, you know? and
0: Are you looking at them right now?
6: Yeah. yeah Are yeah.
0: they in the room?
6: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's a hip hop award song of the year. I got uh, it's a hip hop award mixtape of the year. And I got a summer for best hip hop. Album. So like, for me, that is bananas, you know, in my head because of just like reflecting on how I felt when I, I had none of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, but is there a difference in terms of, um, I don't know, my life has it changed? I think so, um, but also, like, my ambition grows every time I accomplish something, you know? Mm -hmm. So I still feel hungry. I still feel like I have much to do. I still feel like I'm chasing something, and I still feel like we're just getting started.
0: I'm happy that you mentioned that Sama Award because when you won Best Hip Hop Album at the Sama's last year for Becoming a Pop Star, the show was run digitally for the first time over the course of a week, and I remember watching it And it was cool, but it was very strange trying to wrap my mind around this sort of new normal that I was watching. And I thought that your acceptance speech was very eloquent and very heartfelt, dedicating it to your late dad. Can you ever really put a moment like that into perspective after all the hard work, or did you just, like, let out a gigantic sigh, like, yes, this makes it all so worth it?
6: Well, I think it took me a couple days to just – to just absorb that it had happened, you know? Uh, I think I was in a state of shock for a couple of days. Um, but like, you know, I'm also just kind of like glad that, you know, it wasn't live. I don't know what I would have done. I like, I'm, an, I'm a very anxious person, you know? <laughs> like I can't imagine like standing on that stage with all those people and making an acceptance speech. But, you know, so, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I had to dedicate it to my dad because he's like the first person to come to Joburg and try and make something from nothing, you know? And I don't, like, if, if he didn't achieve that, like, you know, so I'm here to just pick up the bat and, and see it through, you know?
0: I think I need to take a moment here for my producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, who fanboyed so hard over my interview with Matt Black from Cold Cut. One of the things that I wanted to achieve with this podcast was to cast my genre net wide and be able to go from interviewing Casper vest and Nasty C to the Lumineers and Passenger, which is something that I think we've achieved in bucket loads. And when you add this interview with Cold into the mix, it's really elevated what we set out to do. And I think my favorite moment from this podcast was when he waxes lyrical about why he started Ninja Tune with his partner, Jonathan Moore. Let's take a listen. So was the formation of your record label Ninja Tune a case of you having a look at the scene and what was going on and you going, I think I can do that. I think I will, maybe.
7: Yeah, but I, we'd sort of done that already when we started ahead of our time. You see, that was our first label. And then what happened is, you know, typically your young bloods come up and they think they've invented everything and, that, <laughs> you know, the world's their oyster. And then you sort of crash into the establishment. And sometimes that can be quite a brutal collision. So in our case, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. We were just having a great time. And eventually we got signed by this label. Um, And uh, we're not the first guys with a new sound to just sort of be sucked in by some older types going like hmm we can use this to sell lots more pop records um, and <laughs> before we we knew it they were sort of cranking the handle around on the sort of sausage machine and expecting more sausages and, and product the same shape as the previous records we made to come out mm-hmm. we didn't like that and it, but by the time we realized that that was what was happening we were in quite a crappy contractual situation we sort of lost control of our own name and you know, this big company had to the Right star music. So Ninja Tune was a way to escape from that um, that morass <laughs> that swamp of the business that we found ourselves trapped in. It was uh, our technicolored escape pod. So we worked out we could have all we could have um aliases, we could have alternate identities. It didn't just have to be cold cut. So that's when we started DJ Food and Sweet Tooth Sunny and mm-hmm. various other, you know, aliases. And that was the identity of Ninja Tune Was a vehicle for us to blast off And get out of the mud we were stuck in So it was very much a reaction to um, you know, A rather bruising um, encounter With the Babylon forces of the music business
0: And just like that, Season 4 is over But you don't have long to wait though Because Season 5 returns on the 29th of April And we cannot wait to share it with you in the meantime, though, head on over to www.texttalks.com and catch up on all of our previous episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever you catch your podcasts. And remember, that's Tex with a double X. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. A huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lewitz. And our research assistant, Al Klapper, catch you on the flip side.